You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hoffman. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 68 of Sticks in the Six. I'm your host, Andrew Forbes, here with my co-hosts, as always, Alex Hobson and Peter Barrichini. Boys, episode 68. Uh, we've got uh, we've got some stuff to talk about this week. Uh, I'm not going to say good, bad, or ugly, um, but uh, definitely some stuff that we we need to get get talking about. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, obviously, Maple Leafs talk, trade talks, uh you know, a flurry now in the NHL with the deadline fast approaching. Um, but before we do, Alex, how's it going this week? Um, things are going all right, man. I mean, I, I mentioned when we recorded on Wednesday that there's been a little bit of a mini uh, COVID cycle making its way through my house. And I'm still, <clears throat> you know, that meme of the guy who's, uh, who's just like dodging all the lasers in the room simultaneously. I can't remember. I can't remember exactly what it was. But he's, he's like doing the limbo and he's got lasers going over his chest and under his arms and shit. That's how I feel in my house right now because oh, I have still yet to test positive. So we're <laughs> playing with fire here, but we're doing, we're doing, a, we're doing a good job. I'd like to think at this point. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been pretty straightforward this week, you know, not a lot of hockey to be watched. So I've pretty much just been hunkering down doing my thing for the past couple of days. Uh, I, and that's where I'm going to leave it because that's literally all I have to talk about. Oh. Yeah, I'm waiting for you to come at us one week with, uh, you know, trays are being left at your door and, and that's how you're eating throughout the week. It's just like uh, <laughs> you got a little trap door in the bottom of your uh, your bedroom door and it's just like the trays slip under the door. I'm already doing the quarantine beard. There you go. There Not you a lot go, of people man. will be able to see. It's gotten, it's, you know what? It used to be a way more patchy than it was, than it is now. And I'm thankful for that because it's kind of inspired me to make an effort and a decent effort into growing facial hair. I know you're the connoisseur when it comes to that, Forbes. So, Hey, boys, this week did a mud mask for my beard right before I shampooed and conditioned it. <laughs> I'm telling you. That is, that is new. I'm telling you. We got to get these guys. Mud mask your beard. We have to get these guys to sponsor the podcast, The Beard Struggle. I'm actually a brand ambassador for The Beard Struggle. Um it's a nice mineral mud mask, sea minerals for your beard. It does wonders. It does wonders, boys. I'm intrigued um, right now. But I am uh, you just, literally you intrigued. Just basically, you just basically did your own sponsorship right there. Yeah. I, I, I think yeah. they're pretty yeah. much on board at this point. We didn't even get paid for that. That was about 20 seconds. I'll give you 35 seconds if you jump maybe. on as a sponsor here. <laughs> Maybe this is the maybe this is the way that we we get our first sponsorship. You just keep you you keep reading off like ads until they notice us. That's right. I'll keep playing. Struggle that. like beard struggle in like a, episode 167 of Sticks in the Six. They'll tune in and be like, "Oh my god, these guys are reading our ad. We didn't even ask them to." Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Free no promotion. Kidding. Oh yeah, no. It's uh, so while well, I've been mud masking, Peter, what have you been up to this week? Oh. Mud masking as well, or. Oh uh, yeah, no, yeah. Mud masking with my little stubble, eyes. yeah. <laughs> Honestly, you know what? When when this is all said and done, I would not mind taking a spa day. I I would not like just to go in, detox, relax, doing all that. It actually sounds relaxing, and I'm just like melting away just thinking about it right now. Hey, so, honest, honest question though, Peter, have you ever had a fi- uh, a pedicure? No, I haven't, but I'm Alex. not opposed to it. 
I haven't had a pedicure, no. Okay, I, boys. I'm ashamed, I'm ashamed to admit that. Boys, I'm going to post you a little secret here, okay? So when my wife and I, uh, when my well, when my wife was pregnant, I certainly wasn't pregnant. I mean, I look it, but. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, my wife and I carry, we, we, we did this together. It was yeah, it was a part, partnership, okay? Partnership. 50-50. <laughs> But uh, when my wife was pregnant, we did a little uh, getaway, our baby moon uh, to Blue Mountain uh, in the spa nice. there. Had my first ever facial, my first ever pedicure. I think when this is all done, I think we might be doing ped- pedicures on a weekly basis because that was one of the most phenomenal feelings I've had in my entire life. <laughs> hey, dude, you know, you, you just planted an idea in my head. We should do a live episode at a salon. <laughs> We're all, all getting sit beside each other. Yeah, sit beside <laughs> each other in chairs, and we're just getting our toenails oh. filed. And shit. Hey, watch <laughs> the skin. Oh yeah, Jeez. no, but that, like, that'd yeah, be really, really fun if we just, just have our mics there and just be like, "Oh yeah, wait, 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 hang on, I gotta get my cuticle done." You know, <laughs> just like, can you please? Uh, yeah, yeah, just keep keep going with the big toe. Anyways, uh, what do you guys think Jack Campbell's next ascension is gonna look like? <laughs> I, I do. Have, have to, to like. You have the people there be looking at us like, what the hell is going on? Or we get them on? in on the discussion. That's right. Or that. Yeah, or that. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, Martha, I've what audience. do you think David Camp's going to go for on the open market next year? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the worst The worst part of the whole thing, though, guys, like, obviously, I've never had a pedicure. That was my first one. When they pull out the cheese graters and start filing off the dead skin on your feet. <laughs> oh. Oh, okay. So yeah. Much. That's uh, that's not gonna sit well. <laughs> oh shit! All right, oh, man. all right. What a start to the episode. For the rest of the episode. Now. <laughs> what a start to oh. the episode. Alex is already oh. cringing right now. Hard. Soak, <laughs> soak your feet, people. Soak your feet. There's your it thirty helps. second ad read. Um, anyways, that was a lot longer than thirty seconds. <laughs> mud, mud, mud mass. <laughs> they do wonders for your beard and your feet. <laughs> oh, uh, that hey, was a tangent. Peter, Peter, back to you. Back to you. How how your week was. <laughs> tangent but a uh, good tangent um you know it was nice did a lot of writing i worked on the final of the prospect fire or prospect pieces the farm systems came out so really happy about that three down really excited about that working on a mock draft but i want to give a special shout out not well not a special shout out but dallas smith former default singer and i know you you guys are already looking at this right now he came out with a tweet and this is all during the whole entire Edmonton Oilers thing where everything was hitting the fan. And literally I'm not a big country guy, but I love him because, you know, he was a big part of like music in the early thousands with the rock and the default and everything like that. He's, he sent out a tweet saying almost got a new version of the default classic ready for you Edmonton. Hear me out. It's called wasting their prime. That is classic. a, that is a perfect tweet. And I, I literally, I put my music on shuffle later that day and wasting my time came on. So I'm like, every single time it was Dallas just yelling, wasting my time. I was like, wasting their prime. And I'm just like, <laughs> man, what did he get me into now? So I, he actually favorited the tweet that I sent out about the screen cap of the song and everything like that. So, and, and you guys made comments too, and he liked that. So, you know, um, I know Andrew, I think you want to try and get him on. Yes or no? I, I think absolutely. Look, this guy's a diehard Calgary fan. Mm-hmm. Um, so the fact that he was, you know, chirping the Edmonton Oilers on, on social media was like <laughs> just fantastic. I mean, obviously like, 
you know, right now, Matthews, McDavid, the, the, the ideal rivalry, obviously we don't see a lot of that right now, but um, for us to kind of look at, at Edmonton, they've got Zach Hyman, Zach Hyman left the Leafs for a little bit more dough and, and the possibility of going on a run and, and now Edmonton's kind of shit in a brick. Um, you know, just, just to have Calgary, a, a Calgary super fan like Dallas uh, to come out and say what he said was just fantastic. So, Hey, Dallas, if you're listening and you want to jump on the show, uh, we're more than welcome to, ha- uh, you're more than welcome to, we'd love to have you. And, and we can definitely talk some Calgary flames if that's what you're into. And also a default reunion question mark. I think and a default reunion is happening. I think I remember seeing something. Really? That. Yes. I don't okay, know why. Made. I mean, obviously there's no concerts happening right now. So it's not like I can, you know, you, you got to take that with a grain of salt. But the last I heard, I'm pretty sure I read something about how default was forming again. and doing. Let's go. Together, so. Let's go. Yeah. Great voice. Beautiful. Dallas Smith has a great voice. Yeah. Oh, what oh are the, God. what are the Mount Rushmore's of EA sports NHL soundtracks? Deny. <laughs> Deny yeah. is a big one, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good that, one. that every single time I'm like, I'd skip over everything and just go to deny right then and there. Mm-hmm. I'm a big uh, count on me guy too. I love that song. Oh, that's a beautiful one. Mm-hmm. That that's a classic. Feels man. Boys, six and the uh, six is now a default fan pod. That, that's right. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> man, we're just throwing out like like quick little ads here for everybody right now. I think we've got to start getting some some monetization on this shit, but. Um, yeah, uh, big week here, guys. A uh, little Oakley update. Uh, he's working on his clapper. We got two hands on the stick. Uh, I'm still nice. not sure about the left-handed shot, but uh, we'll we'll figure that one out in, in a little bit. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's been pretty quiet at the Forbes residence. Um, obviously, not a lot of Leaf hockey to talk about. Again, they're, they're not playing now until Wednesday, so uh, they'll have some more games in hand and, and – te- technically own their own their uh their own uh future here like they're gonna they're gonna be the ones kind of running the running the ship uh by season's end so it'll be interesting to see we got a busy february coming up uh but uh yeah with that what do you say we talk a little leaves here boys um keith sheldon keith had some choice words for his team this week purposeless and soft um peter Let's throw it to you right away. Uh, the comments were, were you know, interesting, but at the same time, they weren't off base in terms of what he was trying to get across to his team. Yeah, not at all. I mean, uh, I mean, if you saw this whole entire road trip, I, I mean, a lot of things came into effect. You know, players were injured, COVID protocol. They've been on a long layoff, and they automatically, after two games at home, they hit the road. And it wasn't going to be an easy one because you are facing the likes of Vegas, St. Louis, Colorado, but the fact that they had multiple leads during the stretch and lost it all was disappointing. And the fact that he's calling them soft and purposeless just called into question their effort in later game situations. And to me, you know, you're you're heading in towards the second half of the season right now. You dominated with two strong months in November and December. You had a good start coming back with two wins, and then this happens, you know, the inconsistency started to come up, the poor decision-makings, the turnovers, that was ultimately their downfall in, in those games and losses and, you know, squeaking by with the win. And I think the New York Rangers game where they lost 6-3 was just, you know, the tipping point. And Keith reassured that, 
he clarified it in his comments that he didn't do it to just call it them out. He did it because, you know, he believes in this team. You know, they have the ability to transform and change the game in an instant. And we saw how quickly they could score goals in bunches. Colorado, St. Louis, Rangers even. I mean, this is a team that can hurt you offensively. And the defensive game just started to come back and creep, come in and creep back in. And, you know, you hear Riley and you hear Tavares saying that, you know what, this is not all bad. They needed to hear it at some point. Might as well do it right now because things were getting on a bad trajectory. Keith wants them to be at their best. They weren't. I, I don't see a problem with the comment because, hey, it worked out because they ended up winning 3-1 and played a much better, tighter game against the New York Islanders. Alex, we went from Berkey's truculence uh, back, uh, you know, I want to say seven, eight years ago to, um, you know, where we're looking at a bit of a smaller skilled team. Um, one, obviously, that doesn't throw their body qu- around quite as much. Um, but is it is it a soft team or are, are we just so focused on the fact that, hey, this team does get pushed around a little bit that, you know, maybe we we resort to using that term a lot quicker than than we normally would i think there's a big difference between physically soft and mentally soft i think this team has certainly has a tendency to be mentally soft i wouldn't call them physically soft because you know they don't have they don't have like a ryan reeves on their team a guy whose literal entire purpose is to go out there and throw the body and make the other team's life hell they don't have a guy like that but I don't think there's many players, if any, on this team that I think at this point would shy away from contact. I mean, I, I, I think we've got a team full of guys who um, certainly revolve their game around skill versus size and trying to throw the body. Because at this point, the Leafs are built to be a skilled and a, a skilled and speedy team. So if you've got a team full of guys who are you know, maybe not, might not be the biggest guys in the world, but they've got skill and they're fast. And obviously you're going to try and win games using your best attributes like that. Right. Like I think with the, with the culture of, of the team right now and the players that Kyle Dubas brought in over the off season, sort of to uh, try and help implement that culture. I think there's certainly going to be a lot better down the stretch when it comes to that. I think, you know, the guys like the David Camps and the Andre Andre Koshes and uh, the Wayne Simmons and all that. Like, I think you're, you're looking at a bunch of guys who are certainly playing for the logo on their chest instead of playing for the money they're earning. Cause all those guys are earning a pretty cheap salary. Um, and I think I'm more confident about their ability to fight back in year physically, at least um, this year than I am in years past. I think a lot of their soft tendencies come from the mental aspect of it because, you know, Sheldon Keefe in his quote said that they, they submitted, they, like, though he didn't say that directly, but he, he sort of implied that they submitted to the Rangers. You know, they played without purpose, like he said. And that was a growing trend for a lot of the road trip. I mean, they did get a couple of wins, but what was that, like four blown leads in a row and four out of five games or something like that? So um, I, I think Keith certainly needed to tell them that. And I said the other night, too, like we heard so much in the All or Nothing documentary about how important um, the, the Stanley Cup habits are. And you know, I think back to that Jumbo Joe quote where he told Keith, relax, coach, we're in first place. I think to go from that to seeing Keith call out his team, even in the games that they win and say, listen, like this is, we got to be better than we were tonight. I love the fact that Keith 
isn't pulling any punches, first of all, when it comes to his team. And the fact that he is not satisfied unless he, they've played a game that they deserve to win from the get-go. Because I think as much as, you know, getting the two points is the priority, um, as much as getting two points is the priority, I think the main thing is you don't want these, you don't want to get complacent with that. You don't want to get be satisfied with getting two points and uh, um, not necessarily working for it. I'm not going to say not, not working for it, but you know, getting two points and making it into a habit where you didn't deserve those two points. is not something this team needs to be doing towards the playoffs. And I, I love the fact that Keith isn't shying away from calling his team out when they need to hear it. I'm glad you brought up the mental side of it because this isn't a team right now that's mentally a championship team. Um, and, and that's what I think he was trying to get across is right now they are, they can play physical. They, you know, you've seen Austin Matthews throw hits. You've seen Mitch Marner throw hits. He threw a couple in the game against the Islanders the other night, but he's not or, or the team rather is not mentally tough to get through it. They, that, that Joe Thornton quote that you brought up, Alex, where he said, don't relax coach. We're, you know, we're in first place. A, t- a championship team is a team that, you know, they, they put the f- their foot down on the, on the gas and don't let up, right? Like they're, they're, they're gunning through this season. They're going to play hard. I mean, that's, it's the reason why we've seen Tampa go back to back. Um, you know, it's, you know, I hate to say it because I love, I love Jumbo, but maybe it's, it's the reason why we haven't seen Jumbo on a championship winning team is because there is that mentality that, Hey, don't worry. We're, we're at the top of the standings, but when it comes to playoff time, that doesn't cut it. Yeah. Is that going to happen? Biggest... I was just about to say, like Florida's on top of the division right now. If things do go south and they go on a, you know, four or five game losing streak, which to them probably isn't much. Is Joe going to have the same mentality and be like, relax, we're in first, everything's fine. I, I mean, I think Florida would be fine given their depth that they have. But it's like, can't will that mentality creep in again? But the, the part with Florida is like we've seen we've seen the the worst of Bob. We've seen the best yeah. of Bob, and and this year he's played well. Um, you know, even Spencer Knight, young guy who's ha- who he was he was good to close out last year. This season had you know a few early games that were a little rough for him, and and the controversy maybe didn't sit well with him, but. Um, I mean, this team can crumble very easily. A couple injuries and your depth isn't there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, the, the other thing too, regarding Jumbo's quote at least, is like, and sorry, this is a little bit off topic from Florida, but I think it's important to recognize that there's a difference between, you know, understanding where you are in the standings and maybe thinking to yourself, you know, it's like we, we can probably bounce back from this and implementing that into the team's mindset you need to keep that sort of way of thinking away from the team's set mindset as much as possible. If you want to make any noise in the playoffs, because I think we may have seen that last year. And I know it sounds like a captain obvious statement to be saying this in January, almost 12 months after, honestly, it would have been around this time last year when Jumbo told him that, um, you know, it's, it's certainly not something that you want to be implemented into your mindset as you get closer to the playoffs. And um, I think we may have seen that happen unfold, uh, unfold, before our very eyes last year. So I think at this point, yeah, Keith needs to be telling his guys when he's not happy with their effort, because you don't want to have that kind of mindset going into this year's playoffs, especially with all the added stakes. Yeah. And just, just to jump back to all or nothing for a second here. Um, 
when at the end of that that docu docu series, it wasn't Joe Thornton who is a veteran player who's nearing the end of his career who still doesn't have a championship sitting in the room at the end of the at the end of the year. It was your young guys. It was Matthews. It was Marner. It was Jack Campbell who was sitting there crying at the end of the end of the year that wanted to to jump into that you know next level of play. They wanted to go to the second round. They wanted to play more hockey. They wanted to be you know one of these teams that we're talking about in in early spring. Um, and, and I think that's where the focus has to be. And I think that's why Keith did the right thing in calling out his team right now because. Yeah, you, right now you're sitting in a playoff spot. You're sitting comfortable. You know, Boston started to make a little bit of run now that they have Tuca back. Um, so you have to be careful with that. You still have some games in hand, so that's okay. But you need to keep that, you know, keep the gas down. Keep running. Keep playing hard. Keep winning games. Um, you know, you can't have these efforts where you go up 3-1 and then sit back and feel comfortable. We've seen it time and time again it's the same story that we keep going back to against boston game seven up 4-1 11:46 or whatever the hell was left in that game and you blow the lead and it's the same thing we continually see and i think that's where the mental strength needs to come and there's players like morgan riley who have been there from day one who understand what needs to get done and he he needs to be the leader at this point he needs to get into the minds of these young guys and say, look, guys, there's no letting up here. The let up comes after we are able to raise that cup, after we're able to get to that final, after we're able to, you know, win it all. Then we get to sit back. You know, we get to relax. We get to enjoy our summer. But right now you're in the midst of, you know, you're in the midst of uh, a run here. And it starts from day one. It's all regular season long. You can be a great regular season team. If you shit in the bed in playoffs every year, you know, you're not remembered for anything. At exactly. the end of the day, you're not remembered for anything. So I, I love, I personally love the quote. I think for me in all or nothing, I thought Sheldon Keefe came off as a little soft running to Kyle Dubas all the time for like answers. For me, this quote told me that, you know what? He's feeling a little bit more experienced. He's feeling a little bit more comfortable at the helm. And he's, he's willing to, you know, call out his star players and say, look, it's not all about the physical game. It's not all about the scoring. You need to get it done on the defensive end as well, and we're not doing that. Mm-hmm. We're not clearing pucks. We're not, you know, taking the body in front. We're not blocking shots. And then to follow that up with the effort they had against the Islanders is exactly what you wanted to do. That's exactly what you want to do. Look, it's I response. S- it's about the response. And I've said from the get-go, I've said for the last week, and I've been ridiculed for it that that uh, Jack Campbell's fatigued, and I'm not I'm not talking about I'm not talking about physically fatigued. Look, they've played what five games since the COVID break, four games mm-hmm. since the COVID break. It's not yeah, physical. So he can't be fatigued, Andrew. Come yeah, on. he can't. Yeah, yeah. Okay, <laughs> thanks the tech. I appreciate your comment. No, I didn't say 1967. I wasn't yeah. tech. <laughs> so my thing is mental fatigue has taken its toll. Look, this guy has had to play one game every five days. That takes a toll. Um, the fact that you're, you know, you're practicing, um, the fact that you have to go through the COVID uh, break that they did, the mental fatigue that is on these players right now, I understand it. And that's why, um, you know, Alex, you, you tweeted out a photo today of a, a piece you're working on playing Morazic a little bit more, 
finding that finding that happy medium where you know what we're talking about Campbell having played 77% of the games for the Leafs this season. Morazic mm-hmm. needs to get in there. You're paying this guy to be a backup. Let him be the backup. Let him play some games. Let him take some of the weight off Jack Campbell. And you're going to see a different Jack Campbell when he comes back because he does, he is so hard on himself. And that alone has the mental fatigue that, that we're seeing in Jack Campbell right now. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And I know we were probably going to get into this probably now. Uh, I don't know if we're going to talk about the balance or not of the workload, but if you're able to play Jack Campbell two, three games, give him a bit of a break and you play Morazic for one, then you do two, three games more for uh, Campbell, play Morazic again, back-to-back situation, you play Campbell, then you play Morazic. You got to have that system in place right now to try and figure out how do you get to that 60-40 mark where Campbell plays 60% and Morassic 40. And I understand because I was even hard on Morassic at the very beginning before um, because of the injuries, because of the inconsistencies. And he didn't, he looked sharp at times, but he didn't quite look himself compared to last season. And, you know, they got to figure that out because mm-hmm. you can't run a goalie 80, 90 games or 80, 90% of the games and your backup only getting 10. That's that spells a recipe for disaster, especially when the playoffs comes. Not, not even the playoffs. Think about your February schedule. Now that the, they exactly. The yeah. Schedule. Like you're, you're, you eight can't more, expect, eight or nine more games. Eight or nine more games. You can't expect yeah. to throw Campbell in there, you know, three out of every four games. It's not going to happen. You have to put yourself in a position where you're okay playing him, you know, for, you know, four, five to six games out of every 10 and throwing Morazic in there and knowing that Morazic's going to give you the effort. And, and Alex, yeah. I'm going to throw it back to you for a second because one of the comments back to you when you, you tweeted out that photo was that, you know, um, Morazic, whatever, hasn't been great or whatever. And you, you kind of said, like, well, he's got to get into a rhythm. Like, if a guy's playing once every 25 days, of course he's not going to get into a rhythm. He's coming off two injuries, two groin injuries, and he's got to stretch it back out. So at what point do we hand it over to Morazic and say, look, you're going to play two of the next three games and we need to see what you have. The point is like the, the point to do that is literally coming up in February. Like honest to God. And you know what? I, I will say, I, I say in February because that's the month that's coming up. That's chock full of games when you're going to have all the opportunity in the world to see what you have in Morazic. Realistically, I go back to Morazic on Wednesday against Anaheim at this point. You know, he hasn't started two games in a row this year. Campbell is probably at a point where he can be he can be worth – or he, he could probably use the rest. And just to – I guess I, I won't really be spoiling my article because I wrote it and it'll be published by the time this pod is on the airwaves. So if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you may have read my article as well. But for the purpose of kind of spoiling what I wrote about, I tied it back to three points, and we've already kind of touched on a couple of them. First of all, it's Jack Campbell's fatigue. It is a real thing. This guy, his career high in a season was what, 31 games? 31 games and back he's already in 2018, yeah. Yep, and he started 29 games, and we still got three full months of hockey left to play. So there's that. Also, the fact that Morazic's numbers this year do not reflect how his play has been. I think if you look at his numbers, his save percentage is below 900, and his goals against average is above three. You're going to look at that and you're immediately going to think this guy's been a shit goalie this year. But just like you said, Forbes, like you cannot expect him to be playing 
at his peak and at the level that we know he can play at when he's getting 25 days off in between every start. And that's just a ballpark guess. Like the, he is not get this before the time between his Arizona start and his start against the Islanders on Saturday, he had the, the minimum amount of time that he took off in between starts was three weeks because he played his first game, got injured. He, well, sorry, I shouldn't even say he played his first game, he played first two periods of that of his first game left the game with an injury. He was injured for three weeks, came back to face the Red Wings, ended up being a little bit too early for him to come back. Even though we got the win, he went right back on the injured reserve after that. And then he went six weeks without playing again. Comes back against the Blackhawks. Again, looks a little bit rusty, which you would expect from a guy like Mrazek after he hasn't played for six months. And then the league goes into the postponement, or the Leafs do at least, because they had their COVID outbreak then. And that's another month before he made his next start, which was against uh, the Coyotes. And even then, he only let in two goals. And it's just like, listen, Peter Mrazek is not a guy who can handle a Freddie Anderson-like workload, like Freddie Anderson did in Toronto over the past couple of years. I think the most amount of games he started in the season is like 52 or something like that. So he's generally a guy that you would look to to start 40 to 50 games, something like that. And that is a lot more than than the pace that he's been starting games at this year. Like, if you're looking at a guy who's used to playing 40 to 50 games, that's minimum one start per week. So, obviously, if, you're, if, if he's taking at least 21 days off in between every single start and he's battling injuries in between as well, obviously, he's not going to look sharp when he starts. And that's why it's so important to get him back into a rhythm. And it ties into my third point, which is the fact that, you know, they, they've got a perfect opportunity for this. The Leafs are going to play the 1st of February, and then they've got the All-Star break. They're going to play the 7th of February after that, I believe it is. And then after that game against Carolina on the 7th of February, they're not going to go any more than two days without having a game. So at that point, it, I mean, I'm sorry, but if, if, if Peter Morazic is healthy and good to go and you still insist on starting Jack Campbell at the pace that you've been starting him all this year, that's just plain stupid. You're going to run him into the ground. You're going to get him tired, more tired than he already is. And you're going to have Peter Morazic and his $3.8 million sitting on the bench. And it's like, you know, it was an ex- extremely small sample size, but in 11 games to start last season, he had Vezina like numbers. And then that freak in that freak thumb injury, he had to get surgery on his thumb, knocked him out for pretty much the entire season. And it's like, you know, I don't expect him to necessarily put up Vezina like numbers, but I think, it really shines a light on the fact that, you know, there is some potential here with Mrazek. And I think, you know, we all love how great Jack Campbell's played this year and how incredible of a job he's done and how he's every single time he's had to take on more work than he expected to, he's come and taken it in stride. And so you look at Jack Campbell's numbers and you're thinking, yes, we we absolutely have a number one guy here, but you know, what would be a lot better than having a number one guy. And then a backup that you start once a month, having two number one guys. And I'm not saying that, you know, Peter Mrazek is going to be on Jack Campbell's level. I'm not saying that at all, but you know, he has that potential. And the only way you're going to unlock that potential is by starting him. And I mean, starting him once every three games, like really use the month of February with all the games they have to keep Campbell healthy and keep him fresh and see what you've got in Peter Mrazek. And if he really starts fumbling the bag and his numbers still look the same after getting some consistent starts under his belt, then yeah, maybe towards the trade deadline, you look at trying to dump his salary, but I think more than anything, the Leafs are going to want to go into the playoffs with Campbell playing at the level we know he can and with Peter Mrazek right there to step in if Campbell goes down with an injury, God forbid, or anything like that because it's just so important to have two goalies that you can trust and the Leafs are not going to, they're not going to get to that point with Mrazek unless they get him into a rhythm. 
Alex, a, 10, 10 games in 19 days after that Carolina game. So 10 games in 19 days, starting on the 10th of February against Calgary. And I'm going to further your point and say don't start Morazic against just the shit teams like your Seattle and your, no, your Montreal. Definitely not. Get, get Campbell in there for a couple of the shit teams and, and, and get that confidence back up because obviously, you know, these last couple of games for Campbell, you know, 20 goals in the last five games, I believe it was for him. Um, you know, the confidence is a little shaky right now. So get him back in for some of these, these teams that, you know, are below 500 and, and see what you can do with them there as well. In a post from Mark Masters, he did mention that, or Sheldon Keith alluded to that, as soon as the calendar turns to February, he's going to be relied on heavily. So we're going to expect to see more games with Mrazic in there. And like you said, Andrew, or both both of you guys, um, especially with the confidence for Mrazic, but what about the confidence in the team able to perform at a high level in front of their backup? You know, that's going to be really key as well because we've seen how well they can play in front of Campbell. And in past years, we saw a difference between how the Maple Leafs played in front of their starter and how they played in front of their backup. You now have a capable backup, a guy that's very solid, can provide steady numbers. You have a better defensive unit in front of you. Why not take advantage of that and show that you can play for both your goaltenders and not just one at this point? Well, it's also worth mentioning real quick. Sorry, Forbes, to cut you off there. But, you know, watching last night's game, the – Campbell, I, I, and I mentioned this in my article as well, Mrazek didn't see too, too much action until really the last like 10 minutes of the third period. Mm-hmm. But in the, in, in the action that he did see up until that point, all the saves that he made were big game saves. Yeah. Like, well, maybe not every single save, but point is like he, he stopped um, the Islanders in some point blank chances. He got Anthony Beauvillier in tight. I believe uh, there was somebody else that he stopped in tight. Uh, I think it was Lee. Parise. And he Parise Parise, a few times too. Parise too and Anders Lee. Either way, yeah. there were a couple of instances where he made some huge saves. So it's not like, you know, the Leafs were controlling the pace the entire time and the Islanders were coming back and, you know, fucking sh- fluttering a couple of shots into his chest every now and then. Like, he was making some good saves. And it's like, when I watch Peter Mrazek play, every game he's played this season, he's looked a little bit shaky and understandably so based on everything that I just said about him. But... I will say that even in those starts where he looks shaky, he's made a couple of big saves and you can see the goalie that he can be when you watch him do that. And I will stick to the idea that Mrazek, it's easy to call him the backup right now, but I still think that when they went out and signed him, he had, there was the intention that he would be the one B to Campbell. Mm -hmm. So not, not, not strictly the backup. And obviously we're at a point right now where you can call him the backup because of how incredible Jack Campbell's been. But I think in the best case scenario, you've got, either Mrazek or Campbell that you can, you can turn to in a time of need, like red bill, red bill, red pill, blue pill, like more or less. Yeah, no, no. I, I, I think you, you know, you got it right there with, with, he was expected to be a one B and, and obviously with injuries and whatnot, that's kind of, you know, thrown a, a wrench in the plans, but um, you know, Fe- February is the perfect time to, to see what you have. And like you said, 3.8 million, you've got him signed. Um, I think if you throw him in there, you're not, you're not, it's not detrimental to Jack Campbell. I think Jack Campbell is going to be his biggest cheerleader. And that's, that's the bonus about having Soupy on the bench is that, you know, he's, he's going to be that guy that's going to go out there and, and, and cheer on his fellow goaltender. Right. So uh, I think it's a perfect, perfect spot for them to really see what they have. And, and, you know, you never know what could happen, right? Like one, one, a one B maybe somebody struggles going into the playoffs and, and, and we see a different lineup and, 
and we see a different guy between the pipes, who knows? But I mean, at least, you know, what you have, you know, what you're, you're dealing with going forward and, and uh, come off season, you kind of, you kind of have that, that decision to make when the time comes, but um, decisions are, are, are going to be a big thing moving forward. Obviously Monday, March 21st is the NHL trade deadline. Um, usually, well, the last couple of years, anyways, a lot of the deals have been happening leading up to the deadline and deadline days kind of slow and, you know, a couple of no namers, you know, changing cities, but um, a lot of talk right now with the, with the Maple Leafs and whether it's Damon Severson, Josh Manson, uh, John Klingberg, um, the, the Leafs have been linked to a number of defensemen and it seems like that's kind of their weak point at this point. I know a couple of years back, uh, or might've even been last year, but Peter, you wrote a piece about Josh Manson and, and still the Leafs seem to be linked to Josh Manson and the Anaheim Ducks. Is this a reality that, you know, the, eventually this guy's going to end up in blue and white or, or is this still just the rumor mill doing what the rumor mill does? Uh, kind of a bit of both, really. I mean, um, let's face it, the whole Josh Manson to Toronto thing has been a thing for a number of years right now. And yeah, I initially wrote something back in 2020 in February and then Shane Senny, whatever other fellow Maple Leafs writers followed that up with three targets on the Anaheim Ducks and lo and behold, Josh Manson is on there. Um, I mean, we could also say the same about Colin Miller because there was talks about, well, within the Leaf community that he would be a perfect fit, but more so Josh Manson. I mean, you just look at his contract right now. He's got one, he's obviously a UFA. Um, I don't think that he's going to be in the long-term plans for the Anaheim Ducks, who's still kind of in a rebuilding mode right now. You want to get a decent return for, you know, 30-year-old. He has had some injuries in the past. But when healthy, he is a dynamic shutdown defender, kind of like in the mold of like TJ Brody in a sense, where he can chip in offensively, a big time shot blocker, good transitional player, good speed. And main factor is we talked about not being physically tough. This is a guy that isn't afraid to lay the body and stand up and make a big open ice hit. So you have that physical element added on the back end. So you get a whole package defender right there. And given how we've seen the Muzzin Hall pairing not meet expectations at all this season, what are you going to try and do? Obviously, you need to make a move. You want to improve this team. This is a team that's in the dogfight right in the dogfight right now for in the Atlantic Division to hold on to a spot. Mm-hmm. Clearly, this is your weak point. It makes sense to try and target a defenseman. Whether that is Josh Manson, I would hope it is because um, Darren Drager recently mentioned his name um, on like a radio broadcast. So if there's still mutual interest with the Maple Leafs, the Anaheim Ducks are in town. I mean, if you want to get a deal done, get it done right now. So you can just walk down the hall to the Maple Leafs side, right? Um, You know, 4.1 million is a decent contract to bring in. Obviously, maybe if Dubas wants to try and get them to retain, you know, 1 million of that, great. I think they'll still be able to handle it and move on from, you know, Justin Hall's contract that they move another body out. And it definitely could work out because it is a big factor. And you know what? We saw how the defense collapsed and even a bit of the offense too, but more so the defense against the Montreal Canadiens, how 
you know, key moments defensively, defensive lapses played a big part in their, in their, in ultimately their demise in that series. You have a shutdown defender like Josh Manson, who isn't afraid to step up and, you know, make a hit, jump in and make a contribution every now and then. Seems to me like the perfect fit. Alex, a lot of talk, like I said, about defensemen. Damon Severson, out of those three names we mentioned, is the the only one that's got more uh, more term on his contract. He's he signed to an extra year, 2020-23, at 4.166. Um, you know, for a team that's right up against the cap, is it is it realistic to think that this is a possibility to see a guy like Severson come over? Um, or, or we, you know, we're just kind of floating ideas out there. The chances of, of somebody going likely going to be Dermot, likely going to be Hall. Um, I don't really see maybe a Pierre Engvall. Aside from that, what are, what are we looking at for the Leafs possibly in terms of trade partners and, and possible players coming back? Just one quick thing before about the whole David Severson thing. This was just this was just a topic that was just getting a lot of traction online that a lot of fans think that he would be a good fit. So I think maybe it is just, you know, hot air at this point because there's nothing really substantial like Josh Manson, but he does seem like a very intriguing target. Sorry, Alex, I just thought I should clear that up. Just you're muted. <laughs> <laughs> I was muted. Anyways, um, I love I love it when I start off a tangent. And I just see that stupid notification pop up. Boy, your microphone is muted. <laughs> it alt alt uh, whatever the hell it is alt m to unmute yourself or alt u to unmute yourself. Anyways, um, back on back on track here. Um, I I, I think Severson would be a good fit for the Leafs. Um. I think the only issue with that is the fact that he makes $4 million and he's got that term on his deal. You know, Forbes, he said that the Leafs are pretty tight up against the cap. It almost feels like that would be more of an off-season move kind of thing if the Leafs were to trade for him and get him into that top four for that for the last year of his deal. And then, you know, kind of similar to what they did with Tyson Berry. You know, how they did. They, they traded for him. They got him at a relatively cheap price because his year was – or his contract was um, – his contract was expiring at the end of the year. So you don't have to worry about forking over too much. And if it doesn't work out, then it doesn't work out. Um, but I do like his play style a lot. I would just have to imagine that if the Leafs were to make a move with the devils at the deadline, um, th- there's probably going to be some salary going back. And you know, if, if, if the only salary they're giving up is say like a Justin Hall or a Nick Ritchie or something like that, um, you'd have to imagine they're going to be forking over quite a bit in terms the futures um one trade partner that i want to or not trade partner i guess but one trade piece i want to bring up real quick and it sort of ties into the next topic is uh john klingberg now david pagnotta of the fourth period said that the Leafs were he, he he had heard that the Leafs had made an offer to the dallas stars for john klingberg and you know you think about the type of defenseman that you want the Leafs to get klingberg doesn't really fit the bill you know you're looking at a guy who's great on the power play and, you know, more of an offensive-minded guy, puck-moving defenseman. And I know everybody with the Leafs, you know, heading into the playoffs, you want them to pick up a guy who's big, strong, heavy, throws hits, plays a stay-at-home game, like a Zach Bogosian type almost. And it's like, there, allow me to raise this idea about John Klingberg. I understand that his type of game isn't exactly what the Leafs need right now. But in a sense, it also kind of is. Because – 
you look at the offense that the Leafs are getting from their defensemen this year, it's Morgan Riley, and then it's a big fucking drop-off. You know, you got Riley, who's got, I think, 33 points in 38 games as of now, and the next highest-scoring defenseman, TJ Brody and Jake Muzzin are tied with 11 points. And then, you know, neither of those guys – I mean, Brody, you can – I'm sure Brody could quarterback a power play and do a decent job of it, but um, – the next best puck moving defenseman in terms of skating ability after you look past those guys is Erasmus Sandin. And that's why he's quarterbacking the second power play unit. He's only got nine points on the year. He doesn't have a single goal yet. So the Leafs aren't really getting too much offense from their defensemen. And I think if you bring in a guy like John Klingberg, who I'd imagine his value right now is probably lower than it has been in the past because of the fact that he requested a trade and he's in the middle of a bit of, bit of a contract dispute with the stars. Um, So as long as you don't have to fork over a King's ransom for him, I think the one benefit of getting him is you get a guy out of a system where he's sort of being suffocated by Rick bonus. And he's not really, they're not really utilizing him properly. So you bring him over into a situation where he can quarterback the second power play unit. He can focus on his game and you pair him with a guy like Jake Muzzin who Muzzin, you look back to his, his time at the Kings, their 2014 cup run drew Doughty was his go-to defensive partner. He would line up next to Dowdy. Dowdy would be the guy contributing on offense, jumping up into the rush. Muzzin would be the guy that'd be throwing the big hits and playing the stay-at-home game. Now, when with Jake Muzzin paired with Justin Hall, he's not really getting to play that anymore. And I think I, I've almost found that Muzzin is jumping up into the rush a little more than he probably should be, especially at this stage of his career. So if you were to bring in a guy like Klingberg and stick him next to Muzzin, that allows Muzzin to focus exclusively on the defensive aspect of the game. You get him into a similar role that he was with the Kings where he's focusing only on defense. He's throwing the big hits. He's blocking shots. He's clearing guys out from in front of the net. And then you've got a guy who you're adding who can contribute to offense and give them a legitimate threat from the back end on offense besides Riley. I mean, it's something that I would consider. Again, it it all comes down to what the stars would demand for him because, you know, as much as he is a rental and as much as his value is probably a bit lower because of the contract dispute, they're probably going to ask for a decent amount from him, especially since he's only going for 4.1 million right now. But, you know, if the, I, I'm not complaining about the fact that the Leafs have inquired on him, apparently, because I think there is some value there that some fans might look past because of his uh, puck moving an offensive game over his defense. Big, big yeah. question on that one, guys. Obviously, we saw last year with Felino, uh, the Leafs gave up a first-round pick. Would you give up a first-round pick knowing that you don't have him signed past this this season? Yeah. I would say if there was any time to still – make a push. I mean, the Maple Leafs only have three picks this in this upcoming draft. If they do move their first, I'm not going to, I would rather have them move their first this time around and looking back on the whole Nick Foligno trade. Yeah. We probably would have done it again in hindsight, but based on what happened, no, you wouldn't want to move that first round pick last year, but given the names that are available, if John Klingberg is available and asking price is a first, and most likely you're going to be giving up a prospect no matter what, same thing with Anaheim. They're probably going to be asked if they're asking a first for Ben Sherratt, the Montreal Canadians, I'd rather give up a first for Josh Manson than I would for Ben Sherratt at this point. So not only that, both are right-handed shot defensemen, both fill a need, both have ups, upside for the Maple Leafs. I would still give up a first this time around, even based on what happened last year. You're in a win-now mode. You want to try everything you can to win. Why not fork it over? 
Yeah, no, no disrespect to Ben Schrott, but he's not worth a first round pick, in my opinion. Like, I think, I think without Shea Weber in the lineup this year, he's been exposed entirely in Montreal. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I mean, that's besides the point. I, I, I do agree with you. I think Klingberg at this point, if you're gonna, if you're gonna give up a first, I mean, the Leafs have a pipeline that is, you know, worthy of of being, you know. I think they have enough down there that you don't need to to hold on to that first, but you, you better hope that you're going to get to, you know, past the first round with Klingberg in the lineup. And that, I think that's going to be the big de- um, determining factor for the Leafs mm-hmm. going forward. And one more thing to point out about Klingberg. This is a guy who's had double digit goals, you know, four times in his career already. He's had in the last three seasons he's had six seven and only one goal this year but still being a very strong puck distributor i think maybe right now he's like alex has said he's not being utilized in the world that he's supposed to be in right now um i think maybe if he gets a lot more chances and a lot more shots on that i think everything's going to go well for him and i know obviously looking at plus minus obviously it's a ridiculous stat at this point and very irrelevant but you look at how well he's been as a plus player throughout his career as a Dallas star. And the last three seasons, he is minus. I'm, my math is bad. Minus 40 in, over the past three seasons. Now, again, I'm not attributing everything why we shouldn't trade John Clay for John Clayware because of plus minus, but let, something's got to give at this point. How, how you have like a really solid puck moving defenseman with a lot of upside for a good stretch of five years. In the last three, he hasn't been nearly as good as he's been in the past. Just food for thought at this point. Don't don't call me crazy on this one, but another name that I I'd like to throw out there, and only because the team is not going anywhere, they're going to move him at some point, and um. You know, he is a veteran presence. Mark Giordano in, in Seattle. Knew that's what you are going to say. Ooh, I yeah. mean, you line him up with TJ Brody. Again. Again. Um, what he's been able to do over his career is just in, impeccable. Obviously, you'd have to ship out some some salary, maybe see if Seattle's willing to eat a little bit of salary. Um, and, and with that, you're probably going to have to give up at least your second, maybe your first. Um, just just for them to eat some salary, but a guy again that's going to be a free agent at following this season, um, and potentially, you know, looking to go on his last run. I know it's a veteran guy. I know we talk about bringing in vets that are kind of on the on the downslope of their careers, but Giordano still seems to be still seems to have some hockey left in his in his game, and I I don't know it, it's an it's a it's a name that's kind of crossed my mind a few times. Um, but I, I, what what are your thoughts on that? I certainly wouldn't be against the idea of it. I mean, you know, Mark Giordano is a guy that I've been a huge fan of for years. He's he's one of those guys that seems to get better with age. And I I don't know if you can really say the same thing this year because he's playing for the Kraken and the Kraken are a very bad team. But you know. The idea of bringing him in on the back end and, like you said, reuniting him with TJ Brody, and then you've got Jake Muzzin and Morgan Riley on the second pairing. Oh, you know, that's a good that's a good top four right there. And, you know, I, I think another big thing about Giordano is, as you know, you mentioned the fact that you don't really want to give up a – you don't want to pay too, too much for him because you're worried about the fact that – you're not, not worried, I guess, but, you know, you got to take into consideration that he's a veteran and he's kind of on the – 
on the downward uh, slope of his career. He is a very durable player. Uh, he he doesn't he hasn't really missed too much time with injuries, and I think that is one thing that would make me feel a little more comfortable about trading for him because I I, I wouldn't expect him to, um, and I you know I didn't expect this with Felino either, so I guess it, this doesn't really carry much merit with it, but. I, I, I'd feel comfortable about the idea of trading him, trading for him and not having his body break down in the process. So I, I, I'd, I'd entertain that idea for sure. And the, the other thing, and the reason I, I throw his name out there is because – so he, he does have a no, a no movement clause, uh, modified no trade clause, I should say, uh, lists 19 teams that he can be traded to. I think Toronto's a team that he'd be willing to move to because of that relationship with TJ Brody. And – Hometown I, I, kid too. Hometown kid. I think you could get him for a little bit cheaper because of how how old he is. Um, because you know he's kind of on that last stretch run. I don't think he's staying in Seattle after this season. Um, hell, he might sign back with Calgary. Who who the hell knows? But um, I, I just think you can get him. He's a cheaper option, and he still has. Like I said, he's still got some game left. So he's definitely a name I'd keep an eye on. Um, and somebody that, you know, I think is, is worth the Leafs considering anyways. Yeah. Um, boys, with that, uh, that's kind of it for Leaf Talk. Aside from uh, Sweden bringing in Pontus Holmberg for the Olympics. Um, Peter, you're our draft guru, our prospect guru. What do you got on Pontus Holmberg? Um, probably an underrated prospect in the Maple Leaf system at this point. Um. His trajectory and his development as, and his impact at the Swede, at the SHL, in the SHL has just been absolutely phenomenal. I mean, this is a player that we we saw at the World Junior Championship in 2018-19-20. Didn't have a point, but the consistency that he's played at at the pro level has just been, again, outstanding. Um, 28 points in 34 games this season alone. Um I believe if elite prospects would load for me, he's, he ranks second in the team in scoring right now. So production is there and, you know, he's got good size, great puck skills, um, you know, great vision and awareness. And he's got the size, not necessarily the size he's five eleven, one seventy nine, but he, he doesn't show any fear in puck battles. Like he's very aggressive and he's very assertive in his play and he's very confident of what he does. So the fact that he's going over for Sweden right now to play in the Olympics is a good sign for him and a good sign for Maple Leaf fans and even this um, scouts and management to get a better gauge on him because, you know, late round pick, Six rounder to 2018, you know, he, he's showing some great value right now. And if he can put up a really good Olympic tournament, something good is going to come his way. I can guarantee that. Yeah. Three goals, nine points in his last 10 games. Um, again, maybe like you said, an underrated guy, uh, definitely a guy that, uh, you know, the Leafs have kept their eye on. He is signed to a, uh, an ELC, um, your thoughts, uh, Alex, on, on Pontus Holmberg going over to the Olympics for Sweden? Yeah, I, I mean, I've been a big fan of his development over the past couple of years. He's a guy who, if I if I recall correctly, I'm pretty sure Dubas traded into the sixth round in 2018 to get Pontus Holmberg. It wasn't a pick that they initially had. It was one of those things where, you know, he saw a guy that he wanted and he traded for him, similar to what he did with Ryan Swerberg a couple of years ago, or I mean, a couple of years later. Um 
Yeah, I mean, his development's been great so far. We're seeing a lot of these guys, at least every couple of years, they tend to have a guy from Sweden who just – he exceeds expectations. Uh, you saw it with Andreas Janssen. You're kind of seeing it now with Pierre Engvall. Who knows, Pontus Holmberg could be the next guy that they pick out of the sixth or seventh round who ends up being an impact player for the Leafs at some point. He's, uh, you know, if if there wasn't enough of a reason already to watch the Olympics with Nyes and Abrazesi, uh representing USA, potentially Josh Hosang, if he's recovered from his concussion in time for Canada. I mean, it's pretty it's pretty exciting at that point. And uh, I, I, I think it's going to be... Uh, very interesting to see how Holmberg sort of uh, fits into a role with Sweden this year. Yeah, and not a not a big guy, five eleven. I think he's he's weighing in at one hundred and eighty pounds or something like that. But um, we have seen development over the years, and and that's that's the the most important point. Um, only twenty two years old, so a lot of hockey left in front of him. And I think he's like you guys said. I think he's an option for Toronto moving forward. He is on loan over in the SHL right now, so. Um, obviously the Leafs do own his rights. Um, but I think, uh, it's a great opportunity for him to still continue to his development over, over in the SHL. And, and now, you know, we talked about last week with Matthew Nyes, um, you know, the Olympics is a great opportunity for him to play against some, some players that may be in the upper echelon in terms of what's available to the Olympic rosters right now. Um, that's, uh, that's kind of all we have for Leaf talk. Uh, we we're gonna get into some some kind of um, some rough conversation here to to close out the episode and we, and we discussed real it, talk yeah some real talk um, we discussed it prior to the episode we didn't really want to get into a lot more NHL news or or hockey news aside from what we had to do with with the the Leafs um, this week the NHL and the Boston Bruins retired Willie O'Ree's number twenty two. Um, which was an gr- important moment. It was, I think we mentioned it last week, it was well late to the party. It, it should have happened a long time ago. Uh, I think there's there's a conversation out there going on of whether they, the NHL should retire it league-wide. And, and it's a conversation that's worth having. Um, he was inducted into the Hall of Fame in, in 2018, which was well overdue. Uh, thankfully, they did it while he was still around. Um and now we're kind of talking about racism in sports again. And the reason we're doing that is because over the past week, we've had two incidents of uh, racist gestures, racist words, whatever, being used against players. Um, first off, Christoph Harabic suspended 30 games for a racist gesture towards Boko Imama in the AHL. And then Jordan Subban was the subject of um, racist gestures in the ECHL. And normally, guys, I would have a lot to say. And I have had a lot to say on Twitter um, over the last little bit. I'm more more just questioning the ECHL in terms of what they're going to do. Obviously, you know, the player who made the gesture towards Subban has been suspended indefinitely and was released by his team. To me, that is still not enough. Uh, I think, you know, we're, we we say it every year. And, and Akima Lou came out earlier today after, after PK Subban shared what his brother went through and said, you know, stop saying that hockey is for everyone because it, it's not. 
and and we're still at a point right now where it's not for everyone. It's um, we put on this facade that you know there's there's an expectation of what hockey is supposed to be, and it never lives up to that expectation. And we just continue to say, you know what, we're going to be better next time. We're going to learn from this, and this is just going to be an example of of how we need to grow. And yet we still come back to the same conversation time and time again. And now in a week where we're supposed to be honoring a, a break in the, the color barrier in the game of hockey. Instead, we're talking about racist gestures made by players that don't, don't believe they need to be better. Um, and I, I'm at a point where I'm speechless. I don't have anything else to say. Um, I, I'm, I'm disgusted. Um, I can only imagine how, how BIPOC players and BIPOC people are, are, are feeling after yet another example of, of ignorance in, in, in a game that, it, that claims to be open to diversity. And um, Shout out to to friend of the show Sebastian Jackson who who really doesn't yeah. hold back on Twitter, and and all the respect to him and and, and Dave Barnett at uh, the third third. Uh, uh, sorry, third I, I, intermission. I, third intermission. Thank you. Um, what he's what he's he's been saying. He 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 released a thread on Twitter as well, but. Again, boys, I, I'm kind of speechless, so I'm going to throw it to, to whoever wants to take the mic here because I don't, I don't have anything left in me when it comes to how, how disgusted and, and hurt I am to see this kind of shit go on again. I'm going to jump in here real quick. Um, <clears throat> I remember when we were doing our episode discussing the whole Kyle Beach situation with the Chicago Blackhawks. Obviously, two different situations, but they both kind of fall under the umbrella mm-hmm. about how you know hockey's not for everybody. Um, and I remember saying that the league needed to implement a zero tolerance policy yesterday. And every time I I swear to God, every time something happens like this, and at this point it's happening on a fucking weekly basis, every basis, sorry, every time something like this happens and the idea of a zero tolerance, zero tolerance policy is brought up, it's, it's brushed off by people who claim, you know what, you got to give these guys another chance. You know, he made a mistake. He's young. And first of all, um, fucking whatever his name is, Jacob Penenda is 25 years old. I don't think that's too young. I, 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 I truthfully, I think really, really young is too young to, to justify a mistake like that. Um, because I, I, I think a lot of people should be learning from a very early age, what, what you can, can't, what you should and shouldn't say, I should say. And, you know, the way that the way to treat people either way kind of straight away from my point there um every single time the idea of a zero tolerance policy is brought up people are brushed off and it's almost like they're scared away by the idea of somebody doing something racist being made an example of and i don't understand why so many people have such a hard time grasping the fact that if you implement a zero tolerance policy and you know, you, you make an example of somebody, whether it's a Jacob Panetta or a Tony D'Angelo or a Jake Vertanen or a whatever that fucking guy's name on the San Jose Barracuda was, you know, you make an example out of one of these guys and you kick them out of the league for good. I'd like to think that a lot 
of people are going to recognize people who might have these, who might be racist and might have, you know, could see themselves being in the papers for this exact same reason in the future. I'd like to think we're going to see the number of these, these horrible, horrible incidents um, decline. If you were to put in a zero tolerance policy and you say, listen, no ands, ifs, or buts, don't be a piece of shit. If you are, we're not going to have you. I don't know about you guys, but at my jobs, if I walked in and I called somebody the N-word, or if I, if I started making gestures like that at a black coworker, I'd be fired on the spot. And I don't know why the NHL and the AHL and professional hockey around the globe, I don't know why they can't get it through their head that implementing a zero tolerance policy is, is the main first step that you need to take because you do that. And all of a sudden, like I said, I don't think you're going to, I don't think we're going to be hearing about too many more of these horrible incidents because you're showing these racists and you're showing these shitty people that they don't have a path back to the game. You know, you can be, you can be a piece of shit if you want, but it comes with consequences. And right now the NHL and the AHL, and like I said, professional hockey from the top to bottom, they're, they're giving these people a way back to the game. And Sebastian mentioned that a lot when we had him on the show, it's like, why do these people get a path back to hockey? Yet you're looking over, you're looking at Jalen Smerich, for example, he was the guy that had to leave the Ukrainian hockey league. The guy, I'm pretty sure the guy who made that racist gesture at him is still playing right now. And it's like, I guess the, to, to, to kind of wrap up my thoughts on this, it's like, if you ask yourself this, if you have an issue with a zero tolerance policy, hypothetically, if the zero tolerance policy were to be implemented and, you know, we do see the numbers start to go down and there's less and less of these cases to be talked about because every time there is a case, they get kicked out of the league. Is, it, is the second chance for a guy like Jacob Panetta or Paletta, is it Panetta or Paletta? I, I don't, not that Panetta. I really care at all. Panetta, yeah. yeah. So it, it, ask yourself this. Is a second chance for a guy like Jacob Panetta really worth the amount of cases that we could see drop for people being pieces of shit? I just, I, that's the part that I can't wrap my head around is because you know that if there was a zero tolerance policy, anybody who might even think about saying something like this, and I said this in a tweet today, you know, if, if you're not, if you're truly not racist, because every time the apologies come out uh, for these people who get caught doing shit like this, it's always the same. It's always, oh, that's not who I was as, as a person. You know, it was a heat of the moment exchange. I said things I didn't regret because it was, it, it was such an intense moment. And it's just like, you know, if you're, if you're truly not racist, I feel like, you wouldn't even think to say something like that, no matter how intense the game is or how angry you get. And I know we've talked about that on the show before. So, you know, I think you're going to see a lot more of these cases drop. Like I said, you know, we're not going to, if, if the league were to implement a zero tolerance policy, I don't understand why it's such an issue to worry about the second chances that these guys get instead of just making example out of them and saying, no, we're not tolerating this anymore. And you know what, if the NHL were to implement that and if professional hockey around the globe were to implement that, that right there would be an amazing first step at eliminating racism, homophobia, transphobia, whatever you want to call it. Anything, anything that makes people feel like they don't have a place in the game, you could solve, well, I won't say you can solve it, but you, the best first step that you could take is by implementing that zero tolerance policy. And that's where I'm going to leave my thoughts for now. I'm stuck on this idea that people deserve a second chance. I mean, you're already living a life of luxury in terms of playing, playing a game for a living. At what point do you just say, you know what? Second chances don't exist. It, 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 we're, we're done with it. I'm, and and what, what drives me nuts is that 
Scott Wheeler uh, of The Athletic summed up perfectly um, the fact that there's such a disconnect between leagues, between teams, between individuals involved in the game. Um, he tweeted out the two statements made by the teams involved in this Subban uh, situation. And, and the Jacksonville Icemen of the ECHL released a statement that said, the Jacksonville Icemen are cooperating with the league re- uh, review of the incident that occurred in last night's game against South Carolina. As an organization, our fans, partners, and sponsors know our core values, and we intend to make comments and decisions after completion of league review. Now, on the other side of things, um, Jordan Subban's team, the, the uh, South Carolina Stingrays, released this statement. The South Carolina Stingrays are disgusted and appalled by last night's incident involving Jordan Subban. Our organization stands in support of our friend and teammate Jordan, as well as all other players who continue to deal with racism and discrimination. This behavior has, has to stop and is, an, and is unacceptable. So for me, like if you're, if you're the, whatever the first team was, doesn't even matter. Um, you're not waiting till the league does its review at that point. You've seen the video. I mean, it takes you 30 seconds in the video to see what, what, what's going on there. You're done. You, the suspension, the release, the, the releasement of, or the releasing of the player, it happens and you, you take responsibility as a team. And now I'm seeing comments that, that are coming out and saying, well, yeah, he was a troubled, troubled player from the start. Well, then what the hell was he doing on the team? If he was a troubled player, why the hell were you guys employing him? I mean, if we have a troubled employee at work, we're not, we're not continue to let things go and say, yeah, you know what? Finally, he's troubled. Gonna, that's fine. He'll yeah, figure it out. he's troubled. Yeah. We'll, we'll figure it out down the road when he does the biggest mistake that he could possibly do. Like, at what point do you just realize, hey, you know what? We fucked up in letting him take to the ice. You know, we got to take responsibility for this. But no, we're going to wait on the league review, and then we're going to make comments. It's just worst thing to do. It, it, it's stupid. It's stupid. I'm just going to say this. Good on Jordan Subban for knocking some sense into him. And good on his teammates for stepping in and throwing punches in at him as well. Because I would have done the exact same thing if I was in that situation. Peter, I'm going to um, interrupt you real quick here just to yeah, yeah, yeah. something else about that. Like, I think I'm seeing a lot of people and, you know, maybe this is just social media and, you know, shitty people kind of telling on themselves. But of course there was that big crowd of people that was trying to defend him and saying, Oh, he was trying to, he was just doing the Tom Wilson tough guy thing. And it's like, first of all, I'm not, I'm not trusting what fucking Joe nine, four, seven, two, seven, eight, four on Twitter has to say about that video over Jordan fucking <laughs> Subban, who was actually right there and was the subject of the harassment there. But Anyway, anyways, even when you look beyond that, do you guys notice in the video how, like you said, Peter, Subban's teammates came in and just started laying a fucking beating on him? And did you notice that none of none of his teammates? Did you notice that none of Panetta's yes, teammates came in and stepped up for him? They didn't come in and stand up for him. And if that isn't the most telling thing in the world, right there, 
I don't know what is. I don't know what to tell you at that point. Because if you, there really was, if he really was all feeling all blubbery and, you know, I, I, I saw that stupid video that he released afterwards. And if he was really, if he really felt remorseful and he knew that he was just caught in a bad situation and he was really trying to just do the Tom Wilson thing, very specifically trying to do the Tom Wilson to Jordan Subban and trying to insinuate that he was a tough guy. Like, do you really, like, do you think, do you not think his teammates would have jumped in and defended him at that point? Because, yeah. You know, I'll be the first to admit that I I never really played a high level of pro hockey, but I feel like it takes a lot for your teammates to not come in and have your back in a situation like that. But his teammates did not have his back there. That was very telling. And you saw every one of Jordan Subban's teammates come in. And I think there's a good crowd and even a bunch of players hopping over the bench, coming in and surrounding him. You didn't see, you may have saw one or two of the Jacksonville, what, again, I, I don't know what their name is, but the Jacksonville, Jacksonville shit sticks. The Jacksonville yeah, shit Jacksonville sticks. There you go. <laughs> um, you may have saw one or two to try and like make, like try and get in there, but they didn't do as much damage as Jordan Subban's teammates did. And right. again, like you, Andrew, I'm, really exhausted i'm tired of all this shit um boko mama said it best enough is enough and the longer it goes on the longer it's going to get worse and uh, and uh, uh, alex you said it best you need to start banning players kicking them out of the league doing the right thing and having a zero tolerance policy I tweeted out today that the ECHL did take immediate action at w- of what followed. I, I tweeted out, number one, great that they took immediate action. Two, go one step further. Make sure that he doesn't see a, a minute or a second of ice in that this league is, ever. That's right. And this is actually a very good this – is, this is going to be a very potentially a good turning point right here. Because you're right, the ECHL has suspended him indefinitely. That's a good first start. Indefinitely yeah. means that there's no set timeline for his return. So as of right now, it's up in the air. Now is the time to see if he gets cut from the team and he has been from the league. He has been be. removed from the team. Yeah. So he has been removed from the team. They so mentioned that in their second release, which still didn't make a really, the, which they still didn't apologize to Jordan Subban. But no, exactly. Yeah. And just to make a just to make a quick point about that one too. Do you notice how they included a specific line in that second statement saying we apologize to anyone that was offended, and they spelt anyone as two words? Like at least fucking try, man. Like who the hell do you have yeah. advising you to really to write your statements like that? Like, like anyways. But just going just going back to that, Peter. I mean. This is like this is a good opportunity for the ECHL to set an example here, and it would it would truly be sad if it was the ECHL that had to set this example for the NHL and the AHL. Yeah, but they have an opportunity here because he's been cut from the team. Now they have an opportunity to make an example out of him, or to continue to prove to people that if you if you do racist shit, it's fine. There will be a place for you to play somewhere else. And this is also two weeks after. We heard about the Hockey Diversity Alliance's tape out hate. During Willie O'Ree's, a week of celebration that we should be honoring him about what he was able to accomplish. And again, all this shit happens. Like, uh, I could I, I say the same things that we said recently on that HDA podcast when we were talking about the initiative, when we were talking about Kyle Beach, when we were talking 
with the Avery and Sebastian when they were on our episode. I could go back and say all that, but I'm just going to be repeating myself. And it, it's frustrating. It's angering. And I feel bad for people, for everyone out there like Sebastian, like Avery, like, like Dave, who want, who want to be part of this, this, a part of this game. And you, they see stuff and, well, I, I should also say, you know, Jordan Subban, you know, Quentin Byfield was our number one top 100 prospect. Literally an amazing player. And him, players like Akil Thomas, are still seeing this on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. What, and it's like, I'm just so infuriating. And it's like, why is this still happening right now? Like, we should be beyond, well, not necessarily beyond that, but we should be at a point now where we're not even doing anything about it. And it's up to all of us to come together to make an impact and just try and try and do something because it, it, it's, it's just so frustrating at this point. Like, how many times are we going to see this? How many times are we going to have to see, you know, like this happen and then just see a massive storm of online hate of people trying to defend an act that's just absolutely so outrageous and disgusting. Quentin Byfield made his debut, his NHL debut uh, this past week as well. And Mm -hmm. some of the comments on, on a photo of him making his debut, one of them being, why are we, why are we celebrating black excellence? And I, because we should. I mean, this like, you're talking about you're talking about the highest picked player of color in the history of a league that's been around for 104, 105 years, and we can't even take a moment to just put all that shit on the back burner and just say, you know what, this is an amazing moment. Yeah. This is an amazing moment for this kid who has dreamed of this moment, and you have to shit all over it. And the problem is. And, and this is where you guys you guys were kind of talking about the ECHL for a second. The thing that's killing me is that um, it's sad because I'm sitting here wondering if they just released that statement to say just to get ahead of the game, to get ahead of the Maybe. the, the yeah. backlash. And and we're at that point right now where that that's that's a thought that crosses my mind it might not be the case but it's a thought that crosses my mind because that's the way that media relations departments work and that's what yeah. they're that's what they're getting at and i don't know uh, you know sebastian or or avery one of them said on on the show that we had them on that you know it's no offense to us but we're we're three white privileged males that are sitting here talking about the game of hockey and we're sitting here disgusted and it doesn't even begin. We're, we're, we're sitting here tired of listening yeah. to this shit that happens. It's exhausting. And, and finding this, seeing this shit that happens. And it doesn't even begin to relate to what they have gone through on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's also worth yeah. mentioning too, that every single time we hear about something like this, you know, <clears throat> and this is not to take away from Jalen Smerick or to take away from Akeem Alou or anybody yeah. that's struggled through, through shit like this, but it's important to note that everything that we hear about only begins to scratch the surface of what these guys probably heard mm-hmm. throughout countless minor hockey practices and games growing up, junior hockey, the amount of times, especially, you know, playing peewee and bantam growing up, like 
no, no one's documenting those games. How many times do you think those guys probably heard, heard things like that in their career growing up? And it's just now the one time that it makes headlines, you know, the half the reaction you're getting is people trying to brush it off and acting like there's no issue. Like it's just, it's beyond me how anybody could be in to tell a person of color that their, their, their struggles and their, you know, their, their concerns and their issues that they take with the NHL are invalid. I could never, ever imagine being that guy because I've, I, 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 I will admit, like you said, well, I don't, I don't have to admit it obviously, but like, you, you know, you said there Forbes that Sebastian and Avery, when they were on our show, they told us straight up, like you guys are privileged and we are, I never had to deal with any of that growing up. So what gives me the right to tell anybody else how they should be feeling about the way the league is. And I saw, you know, Sebastian made a great, I can't remember if it was Sebastian or if it was somebody else, but I saw a great tweet where it was like, I'm seeing a lot of people accepting Jacob Panetta's apology on behalf of Jordan Subban and on behalf of people of color everywhere. Sorry. I'm hearing a lot of white people accept that apology. And it's like, that's ridiculous right there. Like he's not apologizing to you. He's apologizing. He's, I mean, he's technically supposed to be an apology to Jordan Subban. So how about we ask Jordan what he thinks of it? How about we ask people in color in hockey, what they think of it? Don't ask us. Like, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. Andrew, just to jump in for a second, you mentioned about like the whole, I I saw that thing about Quentin Byfield about how people are saying, well, why should we celebrate black excellence? I mean, why not? Like, that's just a simple answer. Why not? Why not give them the outpouring of support that they deserve in, especially in Quentin Byfield's case with the accomplishment that he's able to have made in his career and to get to this point. What's wrong with it? What's wrong with acknowledging something that deserves recognition? But you're talking about a guy who's fought through everything. Okay. Yes. Fought through absolutely adversity. Yeah. Fought through adversity fought through probably being told over and over again that he's never going to make it in hockey to being able to play for the Los Angeles Kings, you know, a team that once employed Wayne Gretzky um, for, you know, to, to be able to, to put on that same uniform, to be able to play the game that he loves so much. And, and we're going to sit here and just shit on him because he looks, he looks different than us. Like unbelievable. It, it, it just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make my sense. blood. It boils my blood. I don't know. I, I, I just, I don't have it. it, it I, I think, I honestly think, guys, like if, if the ECHL doesn't make the right decision here, and there's, to me, in my mind, there's only one, there's only one right decision. There's no, there's no avenues with excuses. There's only one right decision. If they don't make the right decision, I'm having a hard time thinking that I want to put my kid in hockey. Because I don't, I don't want him to grow up in that atmosphere, knowing that there's this this hate in the world, and he's gonna see that wherever he goes. But that locker room mentality is, it, it's heartbreaking. It's it heartbreaking. Revamp, revamp from the ground up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just, I'm at a loss for words. I really am. I know I said a lot, but I'm still at a loss for, for words because, I, I, I don't have the same feelings that you know players and people dealing with this shit have because i've never been in that position so i don't know i don't know what to say um 
it's kind of a shitty thing to to close out on, but it need to be it need to be talked about. I think the conversation needs to be had. The conversation needs to continue. They need to tape out hate. Tape yeah. out hate. I will end on a positive note, though. I want to get a. We mentioned the Dave Barnett, Sebastian Avery, and the Third Intermission podcast. I highly recommend you go out and check out all their stuff, all their content. Their podcast, Avery's work over at with all of the outlets that he's done, Sebastian with uh, uh, Sma- uh, scouting with Smash Scouting as well. Um, f- fantastic group of, of guys. Like we interact with them nonstop. We 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 have I I I again. Dave had a really great thread today. Check that out. I said you have our support one hundred percent of the way, and that that's all we need to do just support great, them great live conversation on twitter today too they Absolutely. had uh, the yeah. the three of them were on there and uh sebastian gave a a great little you know story about the history of his family and i mm-hmm. i i mean such great great information from the, these guys yeah. um check them out like peter said check them out um, support them any way you can Absolutely. They, they deserve it Absolutely. Black Girl Hockey, check them out as well. Sign their petition, yes. get uncomfortable, have the conversation. And hopefully, I, I I hope that we do not have to have this conversation again anytime soon, if ever. Um, but uh, guys, we're all uncomfortable. We talked about my feet at the beginning of this episode. Uh, so I know I know Alex is still uncomfortable. Um, so <laughs> well, I'm to sleep tonight. Nightmares. And you know what, Forbes? It's not a knock on your feet. It's just I forgot that that's a part of getting pedicures. That they literally yeah. take a fucking grater to your feet and shave. Ah, I don't even want to talk about. It. <laughs> uh, look, I think I think the one they took to my wife's feet were a little bit was a little bit smaller. Mine was like one of those big hefty uh, graters. Anyways, you know what would that remind me of? You know the scene in Dumb and Dumber where they're going like to that party or whatever, and they get the like you know buzz saw for like the nails and stuff like that on no. Harrier Lloyd's toys toes that's what I, I don't know why that popped into my head that, that was just the first scene that popped into my head when I thought about you getting your feet shaved there oh. I just picture Forbesy sitting in his barber's chair with a bowl around his head spinning around <laughs> oh boy uh, best haircut ever that's right oh, yeah. that's right <laughs> uh, anyways Let's close this episode out. Another another big week. Um, Peter, you got anything coming up for us? Um, I hope you guys like mock drafts. Love them. No, uh, I hate mock drafts. Personally, oh, never read one in my life. Well, tough luck, Alex. Um, <laughs> uh, got that coming out hopefully soon. Something on Morgan Riley and something about what to look for uh, in the second half of the season for the Leafs. So three big things I'm keeping an eye on. Beautiful. Alex, what do you got coming for us? Um, so I'm looking to, uh, I've obviously, by the time this is up, I've got a piece coming out scheduled for about eight hours from now on uh, how the Leafs need to start Peter Morazic more about our discussion that we had tonight. Uh, essentially anything I said on the pod today, there's a good chance I said in my article. And I'm also looking to potentially do a piece on potential trade chips from the Chicago Blackhawks. So that's something to keep an eye out for this week. Those are the two main projects I'm, I'm working on right now. Love it. Love it. I've got a piece coming out, another forgotten Maple Leaf, another Vancouver firing. So uh, definitely take a look for that. And who knows, maybe I'll write a piece about uh, how Giordano should be a trade target for the Leafs. 
You should something, something to think about. I would like um, that very much. Yeah, let's uh we'll see. Maybe <laughs> I'll get that going. But boys, another great week as always. Uh big shout out to Ryan Zeus Fleming for the intro. Uh as always, thank you again for tuning in to episode 68 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P Barracchini. You can follow Alex at A Hobson Media, or you can follow myself at Andrew G Forbes. And you can check out the podcast on Twitter at Sticks in the Six Pod, S T I X I N T H E six I X P O D. Head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you download your podcast, including iHeartRadio. Uh, you can check out all of our episodes, all sixty-eight of them. Uh, download, hit subscribe, hit follow, whatever you have to do. Check us out on YouTube. You can hit subscribe there as well. All that stuff helps us share our podcast on your Facebook and your socials. Uh, rate, review, you know, get involved in the conversation because we love talking hockey here with you guys every week. So until next time, episode 69 next week. Boys, we'll meet again next week. <laughs>